0: Night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And therefore he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and on the sinew of the thigh. The word of the Lord.
1: We're in a season considering theophanies of the Old Testament. A theophany is a place in which God himself shows up and uh, reveals himself in a tangible way to his people, teaching his people something about his character and in many ways pointing forward in some ways to Christ. And this is one of my favorite theophanies. It's also a very mysterious theophany. It's easily the theophany in the Old Testament that has been written the most about because in some ways it's difficult to understand. But for me, it was only a few years ago in which I was very frustrated with God, not only with his distance and his perceived silence, but also for what he permitted to come upon the people in this congregation that I loved, and I was wrestling with God. And the Spirit very distinctly brought me to this passage and said, essentially, Ryan, you have not even begun to wrestle with me. Gird up your loins. And so that has always been an important passage, important message to me, and I believe that's the message to all believers from this passage. That this is a picture of the God who comes to wrestle with his people, inviting his people to wrestle with him, and that great blessing results as a result of that wrestling. And so if you really want to celebrate the incarnation this year, you should throw on some leotards and draw a circle in your living room. Right? Right? Not literally. But metaphorically, you should start to wrestle with God and to ask, where am I afraid to wrestle? Where am I afraid to meet him in the midst of what is going on in my life? And so today, I'd like to ask four pretty straightforward questions of the passage in order to attack it. The first question is simply, what is going on here? We need a little context to understand the passage. The second question is, how does Jacob change as a result of the wrestling? He's not going to be the same man, and two distinct things change about him. We need to consider those. Number three, what in the world is the point of God, the Creator God, showing up as a man to wrestle in the middle of the night, with one of his people. Number four, how is Jacob blessed as a result of the wrestling? Those are our four questions. Number one is, what is what is going on here? Now, it was just last week that we considered Jacob's first theophany where God revealed himself when Jacob was on the run from his home. Jacob had swindled or betrayed his brother, stolen both his birthright and his blessing from his father, And his brother Esau intended to kill him, so Jacob went on the run. And there, alone in the wilderness, on the way to his uncle's house, where he was going to seek safety, God revealed a ramp that went up and down to heaven, and angels descending and ascending, uh, carrying out the bidding of God. Jacob says, God, if you prove yourself to me, then I will choose you as my God, and the story moves on. He arrives at his uncle Laban's house. Now, we're still working to our, the theophany we're considering today, and you need to realize that between the two theophanies, the better part of two decades passes. We're talking 20-some-odd years. Jacob arrives at Laban's. Laban is his uncle. He takes advantage of him, but still, Jacob marries two of Laban's daughters. He grows his family. He grows his wealth. Right? It's doing decently. But eventually, God says it's time to go back home. All well and good. Jacob wants to return to the land of Canaan. But there's still one really big problem. What about Esau? Last time Jacob was there, Esau intended to kill him. And so what kind of situation is Jacob walking back into? He's actually pretty nervous about it. And so as he's marching his family toward the land of Canaan and returning home... He sends out messengers ahead of him bearing some pretty sweet gifts for Esau in order to broker peace and to test the waters. The messengers eventually come back and they tell Jacob two things. Number one, Esau is coming to meet you in person. And number two, he's coming with 400 men. At this point, scripture says that Jacob was very afraid and very distressed, he's panicked. He divides his camp into two camps so that if one is attacked, the other will survive. He crosses his camp, right, half that he's keeping with him. He crosses it across the river Jabbok and then returns alone to the other side of the river. It's not entirely clear why he does this, but it sets up him being alone for this night encounter with God. And again, we see God meeting Jacob in the midst of a place where it feels like everything has come apart where God often does his best work. Jacob is afraid and knows that he can't rely on his own strength and is in a ripe place for God to encounter him. But oddly, God shows up as a man who intends to wrestle. They're going to wrestle all night long. Not only that, but it says that the man could not prevail against Jacob. So Jacob is going to be given the uh, appearance that God cannot defeat him in a wrestling match. Now, frankly, it's an odd story. Can you imagine if one of the dads in our congregation just woke up their son in the middle of the night and said, Boy, we're going to wrestle. Let's go out into the backyard. We're going to wrestle all night long. You, know, you may not call CPS, but you're not going to let your kids play at that person's house. And then we have to be frank that this is an odd occasion going on between God and his people. And have to understand, enter that oddness to, uh, to see what we're supposed to learn. So that's the context of what's happening. Jacob is again alone in the wilderness in the middle of the night, scared to death to meet Esau and the 400 men that are coming toward him, unsure if God is going to prove true on the promises that he's made to him. And so now we're ready for the second question, which is how does God, how does Jacob change as a result of the wrestling? Two things definitively, objectively happened to Jacob. Did you catch them as we went through? Jacob receives a new limp, and he receives a new name. The new limp is because, uh, even as we've said, the man cannot prevail against Jacob, but what does he do? He reaches out and supernaturally touches Jacob's hip so that it's displaced. Jacob will never walk normally again. It says at the end of the passage that he goes forth from Peniel with a limp, And the people of God, Israel, avoids eating the meat of the hip socket in commemoration of this permanent affliction that Jacob receives as a result of wrestling with God. It's this touch, this limp, that is a sign of weakness and dependence upon God. That even though God is is, is saying and not prevailing against Jacob, I will not consume you, but do not be fooled that I am unable to consume you. And every day now for that Jacob gets up and he walks, and and he feels that hitch in his step, he is reminded that he is completely dependent upon the grace of God who could have consumed him, but chose not. Instead, just to give him a reminder. I think the limp is true of anyone who is called to follow God. Without a limp, we would completely rely on our own resources. Whether it's the limp of sorrow given to the man of sorrows, or the limp of the thorn in the flesh given to Paul. Right? It is the limp that actually marks, out, marks us out as part of the people of God, that he displays his strength in, wis- uh, in weakness and his wisdom in foolishness. And so one good question, I think, of this passage, and it, well, of us, is are you afraid to limp? Are you afraid to be a person of weakness that God's grace and strength might be demonstrated through you. Now, this is particularly applicable for those of you who consider yourself to be very strong. You think you're set. You, You look at other people and you see weakness in them and you think that your life is ordered and that you make good decisions and so on and so forth. You handle your own business and you're very private as a result of that as well. But it's very difficult to be strong in Christ if you are being busy being strong in yourself. Is not not the very weakness that we admit and enter into in which Christ can meet us and actually communicate his strength to us? You can imagine all kinds of scenarios. People who feel incredibly confident. Someone in business. A man who thinks, I am one of the better businessmen around, but gets himself into a terrible situation, but is unable to admit that weakness because he is so committed to his image of strength. And in not admitting that weakness, he keeps himself from Christ. He keeps himself from wrestling with God and simply doubles down on his own strength to his ultimately his own dismay. And so a limp marks those who wrestle with God. It marks it as a reminder of our weakness and dependence on him. But it also, those who wrestle with God are also marked by a new name. Jacob, meant one who grasps at the heel, because he was born grasping at his brother's heel. Now he will be known as Israel, which means God fights. Now this name is given both because Jacob has proven himself victorious over man and God, but also because in the history of Israel, it will come to connote the idea that God fights for Israel. God gives Jacob a new identity that is far bigger than anything Jacob envisioned for himself. In the same way that we are given a new identity, no longer enemies of God, but now children of God, right? sons and daughters of the king. And the question to Jacob is the same question to us: Will we actually live up to our identity? Will we walk in a way that is worthy of that to which we have been called? Well, these are the two things that changed for Jacob, but now we need to back up for a minute, ask, yes, what is the point of this wrestling? right? The new limp, the new name, are the result of the wrestling. But what is the point of a wrestling match? What is God teaching us? Two observations need to be made here. Number one is that wrestling is a pretty good metaphor for following God. Following God is an arduous process. It is not an easy course. And many of us tend to think of God as a giant Care Bear, when it's far more fitting to think of God as the wrestler who comes to reshape us. I don't know if um, you—I have very little experience with wrestling, but it was a component in gym, going through the public school, and so we would be matched up and have to wrestle, and I hated this more than any other part of gym because it was so intense. It was something like six minutes, but. And where I was more geared towards endurance, I could go run, you know, 13 miles and not think about it. The intensity of wrestling is so dramatic that it's exhausting, and you can barely breathe because you're grappling constantly, and there is no break. Frankly, this is the process in which we are invited to become something new. Does not Jesus have to wrestle in the wilderness God, you've invited me out into the wilderness to, to fast for 40 days. I'm hungry and I'm weak, and, but I've done this as an expression of dependence upon you, and now you allow the enemy to come and tempt me when I'm desperately hungry with food? How could Jesus not wrestle with, am I really going to follow you, Father, and trust in your promises when you permit this to happen? Is not the garden a wrestling and sweating drops of blood and saying, I would prefer that this cup pass from me but your will, not my own, Father. When Paul prays again and again for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, and what is God's answer to him? No. My grace is sufficient for you and you wouldn't understand my grace if you didn't have this thorn in the flesh. And so the thorn will remain. Is that not a wrestling? A wrestling with God and His purposes in this world and what He allows to come upon us and how He shapes us. Uh, John Calvin had the most wonderful comment on this passage. And the quote is fantastic, um, but it's slightly long, so I encourage you to, to gird up your loins and listen closely. Calvin says this, What was once exhibited under a visible form to our father Jacob is daily fulfilled in the individual members of the church, namely in their temptations. It is necessary for them to wrestle with God. He is said, indeed, to tempt us in a different manner from Satan, but because he alone is the author of our crosses and afflictions, he is said to tempt us when he makes trial of our faith. He, having challenged us to this contest at the same time, furnishes us with means of resistance so that he both fights against us and for us. In short, such is his apportioning of this conflict that while he assails us with one hand... He defends us with the other. Yea, and as much as He supplies us with more strength to resist than He employs in opposing us, we may truly and properly say that He fights against us with His left hand and for us with His right hand. For while He lightly opposes us, He supplies invincible strength whereby we overcome. What is Calvin saying? Calvin saying this visible wrestling that occurs with Jacob is a wrestling that occurs for every believer virtually every day. Because God is the author of all of our afflictions and all of our crosses, of all our temptations. We are, when we are invited into those, we are invited in to wrestle with him. Right? He challenges us. But at the same time, he's for us and would have us persevere and succeed in that wrestling that we might be made new. Calvin says at the same time, his left hand is against us and his right hand is for us. Right? God wrestles with Jacob, and on the one hand, he allows him to have the perception that he is prevailing, and with the other hand, he wounds him, touching his hip socket. For and against at the same time, ultimately, that we might be transformed. Now, if that's a bit dense for you, I I searched for a contemporary analogy that would be more accessible to our younger audience too, right? And what we're talking about, in some ways, is the Karate Kid which is one of the most perfect illustrations because there are two movies separated by 20 years and speaks to all generations, right? Now, if you're David, David, Daniel's son, right? Spends a week under Mr. Miyagi, who's trusting. Says, I, I, put, I put my future in your hands. I believe that you're going to lead me to a good place. And then Mr. Miyagi has him wax the cars for a week. And at the end of the week, Daniel is undone. Says this is nonsense. I'm not learning anything. You're not giving me what you promised. I'm out of here. At which point, Mr. Miyagi, right, of course, says, uh, "You know, show me what you've been doing." Oh, lo and behold, you've actually learned karate. Right? Now, this, right, an, an easy illustration, but um, just because it's a karate kid, don't sweep it under the rug, because this is what we're talking about this morning. That God would come to you and allow afflictions and crosses and temptations to be placed upon you. And you get so frustrated and you say, I've had enough. I'm not interested in wrestling anymore. God, why don't you just show up and give me what you intended? And then suddenly under the right circumstance, God says, well, show, show me what you've been doing in the midst of these afflictions. And suddenly, you don't know karate, but you know holiness. You know what it is to be sanctified. You know what it is to have stronger uh, muscles in holiness and in following after God, and are ready for something much bigger, and that is actually exactly what will uh, will play out in the story of Jacob, as we'll see in the end. But the other thing that we need to observe about this wrestling, which is so marvelous, is that God, the living Creator God, you know, uh, all the omnipotence, and omnipresence, uh, and omnipotency, right? We could go through all his characteristics. Let's Jacob believe that he's one. What, what a remarkable humility and condescension on the behalf of God who says, I'm going to wrestle with a man and let him believe that he's taken me, right? What father would then go to his son, right, and allow such a thing to happen? No, we're too proud, but God shows us what it looks like to actually be uh, humble and to communicate to Jacob, you know, you have this... You have, All these levels going on. On the one hand, it's this invitation to come and to wrestle intimately with God. And at the same time, God communicates, it's okay, it's safe, I will not consume you. I could lay on top of you. This could be a place of despair, but it won't be because I will actually uh, be committed to your good in the midst of it. Your wrestling with me will result in blessing if you hang on. It's when the man wants to go as daybreak is coming, And asked to be let go. And Jacob says, No, I won't let you go until you bless me. The invitation in the midst of our wrestling also to say, God, I'm not going to let go. And I'm not going to choose an alternate path. I'm going to hang on, but I'm waiting for blessing. I'm expecting that to come forth. And this is the benefit of actually uh, wrestling with him. This is where we can ask. The fourth question How was Jacob blessed through wrestling? In verse 30, Jacob will declare, uh, having named the place uh, Peniel, which means face of God, he says, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now that deliverance refers directly back to Jacob's request for deliverance, which comes before the passage that we've read. And you need to remember where Jacob is. He's terrified. He's going to meet Esau, and he thinks Esau is coming to attack him and to kill his family. But now Jacob says, I am delivered from Esau. Now he hasn't met Esau yet. How can Jacob say that his life has been uh, delivered? He can say that because he has seen God face to face, and he has wrestled with God. And there is nothing more monumental, more character-shaping, than wrestling with the living God, so that what seemed like an insurmountable challenge beforehand now seems quite doable. If I've wrestled face to face with God, and if I've clung to Him and sought to be faithful, And notice the great difference, right? Last week we saw a Jacob who says, God, if you prove yourself to me, then I will follow you and you will be my God. Now we see a Jacob some 20 years later, says, I won't let go until you bless me. I'm not interested in moving forward without you. He's a completely different character. And now he goes to meet Esau. And when he gets to Esau, he's going to stop his entire family and he's going to walk to Esau alone. And meet him face to face. Utter boldness, utter courage, right? no fear anymore. Why? Because he's done the much harder wrestling of knowing God intimately. right, And wrestling with him in the midst of that which comes upon him. Jacob has striven with God. And in that, there's nothing that's more challenging or more rewarding and no more character-shaping. This is the beauty of this theophany is that you have God feigning defeat to execute blessing. Yes, Jacob, you've gotten me in order that I will render blessing to you and the story will go forward in the right direction. But it's just a shadow. Boys and girls, can you remember a time, another time that will come later when God feigns defeat so that he can issue blessing? What happens on the cross? But the God would seem to be dead. That's right. Defeated. Right? Come to wrestle with humanity and seeming to have surrendered. Right? All hope seems to be lost, but it is only to render blessing. That Jesus will be res- vindicated in resurrection and that we will be resurrected with him. This, my friends, is the joy of the incarnation. That you are invited to wrestle with him. And not that you will be consumed, but that you will be made new. Let's pray. Our great and gracious God, grace is not even a sufficient word to describe that you would come and wrestle with us and, uh, and ultimately to hang on the cross. We praise you this day because you are the incarnate God, one of love and mercy, one of taking on human flesh and becoming man, that you might know our plight and that you might become our perfect high priest. We are grateful for your kindness to us. We marvel at your condescension and your humility and pray that we would be a people now that lays down our pride, that admits our weakness. In fact, that we would long for weakness. God, I pray that you would grant us all a limp, that you would all help us to remember that we have a new name and in these endeavors to cling to you. Indeed, that we would not let you go until we receive your blessing. We cling to you as we come to your table and pray that you would meet us and bless us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.